Good morning, people of grace. How are we? Good, good. I'm glad you're here today. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth and receive her king and let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. I love that song. Thanks for singing it with me this morning. It is one of my favorite songs this time, uh, to sing this time of year, and it has been for the last 30 years of my life. The reason I think I love this song so much is that for me, those four simple words uh, kick off the Christmas season. In many ways, those four words are perhaps the most succinct and powerful way to describe what it is that we are celebrating this time of year. There is a joy, and it has come to the world. Joy to the world. Now, I'd like to begin our learning time today with one simple question for you. When was the last time you experienced joy? And I'm not talking about some kind of fleeting, happy moment. I'm talking about real joy, bursting out of you, cannot contain it kind of joy. It's not the last time I experienced this, but I remember one such example from my life. It was the Christmas of 1988. All right, now some of you just said, like, oh my goodness, 1988. How old is he going to tell us he is? All right. But the Christmas, if you were an elementary age boy in the Christmas of 98, there was only one gift that mattered. It was a Nintendo with Mario Brothers and Don't You Forget Duck Hunt. Okay. Now, I had begged and pleaded all fall to get one of these video game systems that I had so coveted. But my family, growing up, uh, we, we were not a very wealthy family. We always had enough, but to give you an example, we went to vacation at Grandma's house. We didn't go to, like, exotic locations. And I had become convinced in my mind that as much as I wanted that and as many hints as I had dropped, I probably wasn't going to get this thing I so wanted because nothing in my family's uh, Christmas history had ever suggested that we would buy something in that price category. But I wanted it bad. Oh, man, Mario, he would be so graceful, weaving his way through levels in that 8-bit world at the hands of my controller with one little directional pad and two giant red buttons. Right? I can still feel it in my hands even to this day. But in my heart of hearts, I wasn't expecting it. And then it happened. Last box of the morning, my parents were trying to build suspense, I guess. I don't know. But it was there. And I don't know if you can imagine this moment or if you've had this moment, but my fuse was lit. I was uncontrollably joyful, happy, bouncing off the walls. That's the kind of joy I'm asking you about. The kind that you cannot contain, bursting out of you. And the la when was the last time that happened for you? And what was it because of? And the harder question, how long did it last? If you were here last week, you heard a great message from one of our elders, Bill Schreier, and he kind of weaved his way through really his personal testimony and how he came to realize that joy, in a lot of ways, was the determining factor of how uh, believers live in this day and age. 
And I want to commend that message to you if you weren't here uh, last week. I think it's worth your time. And we're going to be shifting gears, but we're not shifting all that far. And you may be tempted to say, yes, uh, another message on joy. Yes, another message on joy, because here's what I know. We're humans, and we're advanced with opposable thumbs and all. Uh, but how many of us learned the lesson the first time, right? Here's what I know about you. There are some people in this room that after decades of driving, you still do not have to know how to use your blinker. Okay? I've, I've driven by you. I know it. Okay? Right? I know for me, even though I have tried and tried and tried, I still have been unable to avoid how to foolishly say something at the worst possible time. And these are not even the deep, profound truths of the Scripture that we're going to be talking about today. And so I want to encourage you, as we dig deeper in this idea of joy, uh, to press in with me. Because I believe there's something here for you today. And my prayer all week has been for you that, in the, that, that you would experience that and that that would come, become evident to you over the next few moments that we spend together. We're beginning a new Christmas series here at Grace uh, called, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. I get the privilege of, of starting us, and then Pastor Matt will continue it when we, he returns from Israel. But our hope is that as we enter this Christmas season, this Advent season, that we might be led to a place where we might be able to authentically and wonderfully worship our great God, perhaps in new ways for you. Oh, come, let us adore him. And we know that worship is partly what we're doing here in this moment. We're singing praises amongst fellow believers. We're listening to God's word preached, but it is not just that. And the definition of worship we're going to be using is, is simply this, and it's, it's one of the more simple ways we can define it, is worship is responding to who God is and what he's done. That's what worship is. It is us responding to who God is and what he's done. This story of Christmas, this God interrupting history by sending his son, demands a response from every human being. Many people will reject that message, but the only appropriate response is one of worship and adoration and praise. And so we're hoping to do that. We're hoping to spend the next couple of weeks together as we lead up to Christmas, focusing our minds and our hearts in the right direction so that we might be able to experience all that God has for us and then respond to him in ways that are appropriate. Today, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or you have a Bible app on your phone, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at one of the more familiar set of Christmas characters in this story, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, what is the appropriate response to what God is doing in this passage? Because I believe that if we understand that, we might be able to in turn structure our own worship, our own response to God in this season of time in a way that's appropriate this Christmas season. Now you may, this is a very familiar passage and perhaps one that you've read over and over or perhaps one that is part of your Christmas tradition and I don't want us to allow the familiarity of this passage to keep us from hearing what God may want to say to us today in maybe a fresh way. It is the greatest announcement the world has ever heard. The announcement of Jesus' arrival in Luke chapter 2. The moment where all the world and history changed. And it's this announcement to this group of shepherds that we find, I think, some clues about the nature and certainty of what God is doing in the world and how we might respond. Now, a little background I think that might be helpful for us before we read our passage today. The setting of Luke 2 is not one that many people would characterize as joy. The world that Jesus enters into is a setting full of Roman oppression and imperialism, a system of extreme taxation of conquered territories where the ruling class has a lot, but it's on the backs of and at the expense of many who are left impoverished. 
Even the famous census called for uh, by Caesar Augustus that begins this narrative in Luke 2 is most likely an attempt by the government to tax the people with greater accuracy and then funnel that money towards the military and the ruling class that would continue to oppress them. There's threats of violence, political corruption, an environment where people were turning on each other in order to reap the benefits of Rome, but doing that at the expense of their countrymen. It forced many in Israel to be in one of three categories, either morally compromised, colluding, aristocracy, or impoverished. Now, going to go out on a limb here, it does not sound that unfamiliar to the world we may find ourselves even living in today. And on top of all that, for the people of Israel, there has been a relative silence from God for a few hundred years. There have been no prophets as they go through this oppression from Babylon to Assyria to Persia to the Greeks and then the Romans. And it may have led many to wonder, is God going to be true to his word? Is he going to send someone who will fix this? And it's into this silence and oppression and domination into this world that an angel appears to a man named Zechariah and says, I know your wife's old, I know she's barren, but you're going to have a son. And he's going to be the one who prepares the way for the one. And it's into this kind of world that an angel appears to a woman named Mary and says, you're going to have a child. I know, shocker, right? But you're not only going to have a child, you're going to have the child. And it's into this world that a baby outside the city of Bethlehem is born in a place designed for, for animals. And it's in this world that we find some shepherds minding their own business, doing what they do best, and their lives are interrupted in such a way that it demands a response, a very startling way. And it reads like this in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Do not be afraid. I can imagine the shepherds going, oh, there's plenty to be afraid of. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And those two ideas in the text are actually linked together. If you look in the original languages, good news and great joy, they, you cannot separate them. They are connected. A will cause B. True joy is usually a response to, intertwined with, good news. We know this to be true, right? There's an example from my own life. When Lauren and I were having our first child, Nathan, uh, we were anxious. We had never done this before. <laughs> And we were waiting what would happen. And we had a, a few complications that required us to um, have a C-section. So we're in a delivery room or a surgery room really waiting for uh, this appearance of this child. And you hear that first breath or that first cry and you take a deep breath. And then a few moments later, they, they're checking out the baby and they hand this child to you and they say, congrats on a healthy baby boy. And the nurse asks him, you... Can, would you like us to take a picture? Oh, yes, absolutely, because we got to share this on Facebook. We have good news of great joy, and we are overcome with, with, with it. What my heart did in that moment when I heard that news of a healthy baby boy is not unlike what this passage intends for us to feel. The angel says, there is such new, good news that it will bring such great joy, and best of all, it's for all the people. The author wants us to know in this passage 
that the point is that our response to what God is doing, who he is and what he's doing in this moment is supposed to be joy and not just any joy, a great joy. Now to understand why it will cause this great joy, I think we have to understand the good news that will produce this great joy. And what is that good news? The very next verse, verse 11, tells us what this good news is. Luke 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Savior. That Greek word for Savior literally means deliverer. He is not just a deliverer. He is the great deliverer who will deliver humanity from their greatest enemy of sin and death. He is the Messiah. Some of your versions of your Bible may say Christ. He is the one who has been foretold and promised throughout the Old Testament. He's the Lord. He's the king in the line of David, but he's a different kind of king altogether because he's the king that will reign forever. And this good news that was intended for our great joy in this clear and concise statement in verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and he is the Lord. Now this angel who interrupted these shepherds intended, these average men, he intended it to change their lives. And it has the power to change much in our lives as well because there are two very different realities colliding at this point. The reality of living in this hard and broken and terrible world and yet living in light of the newly heard good news. One of the more ironic parts of this Christmas and Advent season is that many of us will not experience what we might call joy this time of year. We'll experience a bunch of other things. We'll experience a frenzied pace as we go from parties to malls to shopping centers to performances back to family gatherings. We'll experience chaos. Like I'm talking about the kind of chaos where there are 14 cousins under the age of 12 in a house not designed for them. Maybe with three dogs thrown in the mix, okay? And there are no outlet covers for the toddlers and everything your child locks eyes on is breakable and expensive. Okay, glad it's not just me. Okay. We'll experience anxiety over the perfect gift or whether we'll even have money to buy gifts this year or whether it'll fit in the budget. We may experience a more acute sense of loneliness and that weird sort of loneliness where even though we're surrounded by people, we're not so sure anyone really knows us, loves us, and understands us. We may even experience more emptiness after the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season is done and we take a deep breath and we say, is that it? And if you walk around this time of year, that word joy, it will be on coffee cups and throw pillows and in people's yards. And yet the great contrast of this season is that many of us have a real void or vacuum of what would look like real joy in our lives this time of year. And I think joy, I think one of the reasons is, is that joy is maybe misunderstood in our culture today. It's confused with happiness sometimes, something maybe an optimist has. It's often thought of as maybe a personality trait. Some people have it, some people don't. It's confusing because not everyone demonstrates joy maybe in the same ways. Some people are more loud and boisterous and jovial and we assume they have joy, but sometimes we even know that's a cover for other things. Or some people are more quiet and reserved and their joy looks a little bit more like just this kind of quiet confidence that things will work out the way they're going to work out. And joy, we know, is not the, real absent, or the absence of real and genuine pain either. In many ways, joy is a choice one makes. It's a heart response 
to the, being constantly reminded of the real truth that is behind all of life. When the two worlds of my life in this world and the good news collide, I can have joy because the main circumstance affecting my ability to have this joy is that Christ exists. There's a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord, and that begins to seep into all that I am. Now, our problem is that most of us, including myself, we settle for cheap substitutes for this kind of joy that bring the buzz of temporary joy, yet leave us wanting and desiring the real thing. And I think for, for us today that genuine joy is an outflow of our hearts in worship to God. It's a heart orientation that says, I know that there is good news, and that in spite of the evidence all around me that may potentially contradict that, I will live in light of that good news because I know it will cause me great joy. So this heart response of joy is not always evident in a believer's life, and I think it's because it's, it's a confusing thing, but also because I think there are some real enemies to joy in our lives, some real enemies to having this kind of joy in our life. This list of, of enemies of our joy is not exhaustive, but it's a, it's a start. One of those enemies to our joy, I think, is fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety are the antithesis to joy. They can't exist together when our eyes are so focused on what's to come or what may or may not happen. It's hard to experience real and genuine joy. One of my favorite Christmas movie moments is from A Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, a few years ago, I noticed something I had never really noticed before. In the famous scene where Linus begins to tell Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about in Luke chapter 2 by reciting it, um, if you miss it, there's a small moment that if you miss it, I think you miss the real, um, the real point of what Charles Schultz is trying to communicate. When Linus gets to the moment of our verse today, the passage we just read in the old King James Version, pay attention to his hands. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Did you see it? Linus let go of his blanket. Linus never let go of his blanket. Many of us, we walk around like Linus in fear and anxiety and drag around these metaphorical security blankets that we think keep us safe. And what a beautiful picture of what the gospel and good news is, is that we can lay those things down. Lay those things down we so foolishly hold on to for the illusion of security. Friends, there's good news today. Jesus can be trusted. We can rest knowing he's in control. And so fear and anxiety often can be an enemy to joy in our lives. Another enemy, perhaps, of joy is comparison. I found this one to be especially true in my own life, that it's very hard to have joy when you are constantly wondering if you measure up or if you wish you had something that in God's providence he has not provided for you yet, whether that's a level of income, a certain amount of notoriety, a particular body type, or even a particular set of skills or abilities. Comparison will always be an enemy to our joy because our desire for those things 
was intended to point us to the one who can satisfy and satisfy us in more deep and profound ways than any amount of notoriety or income or less numbers on the scale could ever provide. It's supposed to bring us to the point where we understand that we are desperate for the kind of good news that is not what we experience on this earth. And that good news can ultimately be found that there is a Savior, a Messiah, and a Lord. Sometimes the enemy of our joy is sin and disobedience. Our sin and disobedience is always going to be enemy to our joy because it's in that moment that we are responding not to God but to a lie. We're responding to a lie that says, whatever it is that I'm chasing after or desire will provide me more joy and satisfaction than what God has promised to be true. There's good news for us today, friends. There's more joy to be found in obedience because Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the good shepherd, and his commands and, and, his commands and boundaries are protective and generous towards us, and they are not burdensome. Sometimes there's an enemy to our joy uh, is shame and guilt. They have a unique power in many of our lives. It's, it's, it's kind of this weird thing because it's kind of true. We aren't good enough. We are going to fall short. We are going to fail miserably and often. And we are utterly broken in some very powerful ways. And the good news that causes great joy is that there is a Savior who paid the price for that. And he is working on you and I to begin to bring us and redeem us and make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, in all of life. Another enemy of joy can often be resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness. Now, this is a real enemy to our joy, and I want to walk with caution here because I know in this room there are terrible things that have been done to some of us. But there's good news, friends, of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, which ultimately means that whatever's been done to you, that sin will get paid for either by that person in judgment or by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because I've been treated so graciously by God, I can let that go. And all these enemies of joy, security blankets we hold on to, were no match for the overwhelming joy we are supposed to feel when we hear that there is good news. There's a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord. And so my big question for us to consider today is, how much joy are you living with right now? How is your heart responding in this moment to who God is and what he's done. As you look back maybe on the last few Christmas seasons, have you had times of real joy, soul-level celebration? Because joy was the response that this good news was intended to cause. There's a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord. And if that's true, we have abundant reasons to celebrate this Christmas season. And I know it's, some, it's not so simple. I am not uh, that foolish to believe that's the case. I don't know even all the hurt and pain and heartache and brokenness that is in this room. I do know that we live in a, a complex, utterly broken world full of utterly broken people. And if you look around too long, your heart will begin to despair and you will wonder. And it will be hard to live with joy. But whenever we find ourselves in those moments, friends, ready to despair, give up, wonder if it's all worth it, we need to be reminded that it will not look so much unlike that time 2,000 years ago when an angel interrupted history and said, I've got good news of great joy, and it's for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, and he's the Lord. And so if you aren't experiencing real joy... If you find yourself in despair and loneliness and angerness, anger and bitterness and fear and anxiety, then the best remedy I know to give all of us is to reconnect to the good news that was intended for your great joy. 
If you aren't experiencing joy, reconnect to the good news. And if in a few days that joy begins to wane, do it again and again and again. Because A will cause B. Your ability to live with great joy has so much to do with your ability to be connected, to be marvel, to marvel at, to celebrate, and to be reconnected to this good news on an ongoing basis. Because if the good news really is good, and I believe that's the case, because as you read the scriptures, I think Jesus is exactly who he said he was and who he claimed to be and can provide exactly what he said he could provide. Then our great joy should be really great. Now, if you're, like, if, uh, if you're not experiencing that joy or if you're like me and you just need more of that in your life and you need it more frequently and you need to live that out in some ways, I've got three applications for us today. I've tried, um, I've tried to make that simple by attaching these to some lyrics we find in that classic Christmas hymn we started with, Joy to the World, in hopes that as you hear that this Christmas season, you might be reminded of what you might be able to do in order to live with more joy. And the first of those is that there are many in here, or some in here at least, who need to maybe for the very first time receive your king. You've been on the fence about Jesus, about Jesus, and I want you to hear today, maybe in a way you've never quite heard it, there is good news here today for you, friend. There, Jesus is Savior and Lord. He is exactly who he claimed to be and can provide you exactly what he said he could provide. Forgiveness of sins, abundant life, the way to be right with God. He's the king who will return again and make it all right. He is the only way for sinful people to be reconciled to a holy God. And that news, just like the angel said, is for all people, and I want that to be for you today. Today, if you're in this room and you're hearing the Lord speak tenderly to your heart right now, do not harden your heart. Repent. Receive your king. Respond to him as Savior and Lord. Repent and believe the good news that has caused so many of us in this room to have such great joy. Now, for most of us, we've done that. We've, we've received our king. We're actually in this room because of it. We're here celebrating today together as fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet we are not immune to living lives ourselves that do not reflect the true greatness of the joy that is being offered to us in this good news. Maybe the news feels like old news. Maybe that news has lost its luster or shine. Or maybe it's just the enemies of joy that begin to choke out our, our, our joy in such a way that we can't even have it in our lives. And today, I think our application of these last two things. The second one, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. I want you to consider how this holiday season, you might be able to make space or room for Jesus to speak to you. Most of the time, we won't give Jesus an outright no. We'll give him this more default no that says, my life is too full, there are too many parties to attend, too many gifts to wrap, too many people coming to my house, too many meals to prepare, too much, too full, not enough room. Let us say yes to our king this season and structure our lives in such a way this holiday season, maybe the next 20-something days, where we might be able to see in a fresh way the good news that is supposed to bring us great joy. I'm reminded the shepherds had to leave their sheep in order to see the baby. The magi, if you remember these guys, the wise men, they went through great time and energy and expense to make sure they could see this new king. And so I'm not sure what that is for you. You might have a pattern that works for you, and by all means do that. But if you don't, might I offer a couple of suggestions about how you might be able to prepare room this season for your heart to overflow in worship and response to who God is and what he's done. The first of those, maybe a simple one I like to do is uh, put a 15-minute appointment on your calendar with a reminder and just 
you know, walk off in the hallway or go take a drive real quick, sing your favorite Christmas song that reminds you of the good news, and just pray and ask God to make that fresh to you in a new way. Another simple way you do, and one we've spent a lot of time on here at Grace, is just uh, this devotional guide. Our communications team did a great job of putting this together. It's a devotional guide that's going along with our sermon series, and it actually is intended to start this week. And so you can pick one of these up on your way out at the tables. There's even digital copies available online. We even went so far as to put activities in there that if you've got young children, you might be able to do some things together. However you decide, let's prepare room in our hearts this season. And let's not let the frenzy and pace of the season drown out our, our opportunity to make room for the good news to land on us in fresh ways. So receive your king. Let every heart prepare him room. And then finally, the last one, pay attention to the wonders of his love. Pay attention to the wonders of his love. As we meditate and pay attention on the wonderful things God has done, as we read our Bibles and marvel at what he's done in the past, that he would send his son to the earth at such great cost, that he would interrupt history in that way. He would announce that to ordinary people, and that somehow through God's grace, we have come to know that, and so we don't walk around without hope. And it's not just what God is doing in the past, it's also what he's doing even now in our lives in an active way. Because I believe that the more attentive you are to what God is doing in the world, the more your natural response will be one of joy. The more attentive you are of what God is doing in and around you, the more natural your response will be joy. As we pay attention to how God is colliding and breaking into this world, when we do that enough, we say thanks enough. And once we say thanks enough, we begin to see things in a whole different way where there's, there's this reality where God really is working. And that good news really is good. And it has caused great joy. This good news that caused great joy was intended to be an everyday experience in our lives. The shepherds went back to their day jobs, but they went back differently. They went back with this good news that had caused them great joy. And so people of grace, this Advent, this Christmas season, we have, I think, the chance to worship the king appropriately. Oh, come, let us adore him. We have the opportunity to respond with our lives to who God is and what he has done. And who is he? Verse 11 said it real clear. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He's the one who changed everything, the great rescuer, the Lamb of God, the King of the universe. And what is he doing? He's here to deliver on God's promise of good news that will cause great joy. And best of all, it's for all the people. And so if today or any time in the next few weeks you find yourself lacking real joy, you find yourself in despair or lonely or angry or wondering what the world is coming to, then my friends, let's quickly quickly reconnect ourselves to the good news. Because it was the good news, this good news will cause and was designed to bring us great joy. And so let's use the opportunity of this unique season, this Christmas season as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, let us respond to God for who he is and what he's done. Because this moment we read about in Luke chapter 2, when the good news of Jesus Christ coming to the earth and the word becoming flesh, it demands a response. And the, and the only proper response to that kind of great good news is great joy. And so let's do that. 
Let's do that in song as we gather each and every Sunday as we lead up to this uh, Christmas celebration. Let's do that in our everyday lives as we go about our, the mundane things we do. Let's do that being reminded of the good news that will cause great joy because we know there's a good news that trumps whatever it is that we are facing in our lives today. And let's respond to God with hearts full of joy. Joy to the world. Joy to this hard and despair-causing world. Joy to this broken and heartbreaking world. Joy to that world. The Lord, the Lord has come. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we praise you, we glorify you, and we marvel at the profound truth, at these profound truths, God. And we come before you today grateful once again to hear from your word and to sing praises with your people and to have our hearts rejuvenated by the simple truth that your good news brings with it so much great joy. Father, we do confess that our hearts and lives could use more of that. Thank you for making that available to us, God. Lord, we want to worship you today and every day, and we want to respond to who you are and what you've done. And we want to respond with hearts of joy. Help us, Father, in this season to reconnect our hearts to the greatest news the world has ever heard so that we might serve you well. And it's in the magnificent name of your son, Jesus Christ, the babe in a manger, and the king of kings that we pray. Amen.